I believe that joy to the world should be sung often, and I believe that there should be some kind of church law that says it must be sung loudly. (laughs) For if we are only whispering joy to the world, we're not embodying the message of what we're saying. For indeed, it's not just that God gives joy to us individually, it's good news for the world, for all of creation indeed. The reason is this, I believe that joy to the world is a musical form that encapsulates the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. It's easy to become discouraged by Christians around us and maybe in our own lives sometimes when we might say or sing joy to the world, but our countenance looks like something else entirely. It reminds me of back in the day when I was a youth pastor. And one of the games that we played involved a candy called Warheads. Has anyone been familiar with Warheads? There is a sugary outside coating of the Warhead, but when you get through that coating, it is terribly sour and bitter, and it makes your face cringe and ball up. The game was to see who could go the longest without their face cringing and balling up, and that would be the winner of the great prize of the evening. But how often is it that we as Christians look like we've eaten warheads? We believe that somehow because we follow Jesus, there is a necessary level of misery in our lives that we must show to the world. But I think the expression of knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ must come through with a tangible joy in our lives. For in fact, one of my favorite sayings about joy is to say that joy is the flag that flies over the castle signaling that the king is in residence. Does the joy that comes out in our lives signify that King Jesus is in residence within us no matter the circumstances around us? If the audacious promises of Jesus Christ are true, Joy is a rightful response, and joy has always been part of the Christian life. Greek Orthodox theologian Alexander Shemamon writes this, from its very beginning, Christianity has been the proclamation of joy. It announced and conveyed a new, all-embracing joy, and without the proclamation of this joy, Christianity is incomprehensible. It is only as joy that the church was victorious in the world and when it lost the world because it lost that joy. Joy has always been at the heart of the Christian proclamation. Think of those first disciples, those witnesses that went out and turned the world upside down. They weren't going out and saying, let me tell you about the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. They weren't developing those doctrines at that time. That is all important. What were they saying, however? He is risen. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And as we develop that joy, as we return to that joy, we have an embodiment that has always been a part of being God's people. Whether it's Christmas time or not, joy to the world is the message that Jesus proclaimed, and it is always the message that he has given us to proclaim as well. 
Consider the man who authored this great hymn, Isaac Watts, who authored Joy to the World. By all accounts, he never intended for it to be a Christmas carol. For him, it was simply a musical interpretation of Psalm 98. Watts was an amazing intellect of his day. He was a physicist and a mathematician, but he was likewise one of the greatest hymn writers of all time, maybe up there with the Wesley brothers in terms of Protestant hymnody. He was kind, he grew up in a home that was nonconformist in England, which is to say that they were a group of people who said that the state should stay out of matters of faith and the church in the lives of people. His father was jailed twice for precisely holding these views. Watts grew up in a time with the, that all church singing was straight out of the Psalms, and he found it to be boring. So he took it as his calling then to write the new hymns that were still saturated with God's word in them, but in a new way, in a creative way, embodied the powerful images and words that could speak to the people of his day. Hymns that he wrote were like, when I survey the wondrous cross, O God, our help in ages past, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. Watts has given us an incredible gift of hymnody that shows us how the word of God was brought to life in their day and in ours as well. Joy to the world to Watts was that proclamation of the Christian faith, and it follows in the train of faith from the Apostle Paul and from Jesus himself. We saw that when we read from John 16 today, Jesus said, you guys are about to abandon me and scatter. I am about to be killed, and then I will be going away from you. Joy to the world, right? But he pivots and says, your pain will be turned to joy. The pain of separation, the pain of suffering, the pain of abandonment will be turned to joy. The image he gives is of a woman in labor having a child, and it is pain involved. I've never experienced this, but I have observed it. The pain, he says, though, disappears when the child has come. We will endure weeping for nights in our lives. We will endure suffering in our lives. But the promise of Jesus is that it will be turned to joy. The image conveys truth to us that there is pain in this world and sorrow where we live. That is reality that the Christian faith does not call on us to deny as if Everything is fine. It is broken and lost, and we are broken and lost without Christ. We live in a world where tornadoes ravage towns, where families are torn apart, where promises are broken and illnesses cause suffering. It is our honor and privilege as pastors and as the family of God to walk through these times together, to remind one another that weeping does endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's part of what it means to be pastors with you, and it's part of what it means to be the family of God when Paul says to bear one another's burdens.
It's not just happy clappy all the time. It's walking together through the dark passages of our lives, being there for one another with the presence of Christ. For many people this season of Christmas, they feel a sort of pressure to slap a smile on their face and say Merry Christmas to everybody and hand out candy canes. And what they feel like is going into a dark room by themselves and weeping. Weeping for the loss of a loved one. Weeping for the death of a dream. Weeping in anxiety for the future. Jesus never flinches from the reality of pain in this world, but he does lift up our eyes to say, your pain will be turned to joy by God's power. With the words of the psalmist, he reiterates, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And this is the truth of the Christian life, that we are able to stare the reality of pain and suffering square in the face. We are willing and able to acknowledge the truth of difficulty of this life and to still say, this will not have the final word in my life or in all of creation because Jesus promised joy. That is good news. That is why we should sing joy to the world loudly. In Joy to the World, Watts has a turn in the third verse. He says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make the blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Pay attention to those things that are repeated on the ends of these verses. He looks at the very nature of the world as God has created it and as it has evolved in the biblical story. Sins and sorrows go hand in hand. We hurt one another and are hurt by one another when we sin. It is not simply a matter of, well, it's just an individual decision. It doesn't really affect anybody else. We are hopelessly interconnected in our relationships. Thorns infest the ground as they are introduced in Genesis, in the story of Adam and Eve and their fall into sin. The proclamation of joy is that the thorns along with the sin and the sorrow will be wiped away with the joy of the Lord. And as far as the effects of sin have been manifest in our lives and in creation, that's how far the joy of the Lord shall spread. Far as the curse is found, there will not be one corner of all creation of the cosmos that is untouched by the ringing of the joy of the Lord. The proclamation of joy is that the thorns with the sin and the sorrow will be wiped away. I think the third verse is also an invitation for us to reflect today, however, as well. What are the thorns? It's time for us to do some gardening for some of us in our lives, right? If the thorns are the result of sin in our lives and in creation, some of us need to do some weeding. All of us probably. To examine our lives and say, where are the thorns growing that are results of sin in my life? Where is the curse and the sorrow being manifest in my own heart as it is in the world around me? 
You see, the thing about thorns and weeds in our yards is that you can't just do it once and be done with it, right? It's one of those tasks that we have to return to with attention over and over and over again because those weeds and those thorns, they keep growing back. You ever feel like that in your life? Why did I do that again? I thought I was done with that. In this season of Advent, of preparing our hearts to celebrate Jesus, it's time to do some gardening in our lives, to pull out those thorns and weeds where sin has gotten into our lives, where sorrow has gotten into our lives. The sins of our lives, greed and pride, lack of concern for, and love for our neighbors, resentment, anger, bitterness. Jesus is inviting us to allow him to root those out of our lives so that we can live in the joy for which he created us. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found in grace and truth. The final verse of the hymn does call us to look forward and proclaim the fact that might not be observable yet in this world. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love, the wonders of his love, the wonders of God's love. Don't we look forward to the day when it is obvious to everyone that God reigns in this world with truth and grace? We'd probably settle for truth sometimes, right? A day when we don't have to worry about fake news or the fake news about fake news that we can't even, we don't know who to trust. But God promises a day that he will reign in truth and grace. The promise that he rules with truth is good news and those things that we proclaim by faith, even if we don't see them with our eyes, but the more vivid promise is that he rules with grace. We talk about this all the time, but I think this morning it is critical for us to understand that grace is the bridge by which God gives us joy. If we don't understand that God rules with grace, there will be no joy. Say it with me. Without grace, there is no joy. Why is that? Why is that that God has to rule by grace if we are to experience his gift of joy? Because absent God's rule of grace, we are left with cold, hard religion. Religion that says, that sets up like the list, the naughty and the nice list. And if we have more marks on the nice list than the naughty list, then we will receive on Christmas Day the gift of heaven, because we deserve it. And if we have more marks on the naughty list than on the nice list, then on Christmas Day, we will receive the gift of eternal damnation apart from God. Merry Christmas. Is that the way we live? Do we live as though God's grace, we talk about it, but we don't really receive it in our lives? 
There is no joy in cold, hard religion because it is about what you and I can earn and merit from God. With grace, there is joy. Say it with me. With grace, there is joy. Joy is founded in the fundamental reality that God is gracious, that He provides in Christ a gift that we cannot earn on our own. I was talking this week with someone who reminded me of a story that I heard a long time ago about the preacher who was asked, when did you get saved? And he said, I was saved 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on a cross for me. That's understanding grace at a deep level. Before we could ever ask for it or experience it, Christ was giving it to us. He did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. That's who our king is. So we can live in joy because that is the king who is in residence in our lives and in our church and in this world by faith. The wonders of God's love. I love that this is the final repetition that we hear at the end of the hymn, just to let us almost float into reflection on the many, many, many wonders of God's love. He has poured them out upon our lives from the material blessings that we enjoy to the spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ to the relational blessings of being part of his family to the gift that he gave us when he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out for the forgiveness of our sins the wonders of God's love. He allowed us to be the beneficiaries of the one who died, not just in our place, but in the place of the very ones who crucified him. The wonders of his love, even for us. May we get lost in that this season. May we get caught up in not the busyness, but in reflecting on the wonders of Christ's love for us. As we celebrate these confirmands openly professing today their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their desire to be a disciple of his within this family of faith, I pray for each one of you that your life will be marked by joy the joy of God that is immovable from your life because it's rooted not in the circumstances of your life or in the gifts that God has given you, but it's rooted in God's presence himself abiding with you. The prophet Isaiah, whose text we read this morning, gives words to that prayer, and it is what I offer for you today. He says, the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. My prayer for you confirmands and for all of us in the family of faith is that we might draw joy from the wells of God's salvation today, understanding the wonders of his love, that we might be beacons of light in a world of darkness because of the joy he has given us. May that be the word of our lives together here and in our witness to the world. 
As John Calvin said, you wouldn't think of Calvin and joy going together very often. Joy is a quiet gladness of heart as one contemplates the goodness of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus. A quiet gladness of heart. So I guess you can say joy to the world quietly and meditatively. But I believe when we sing it, it should be loud. And I call on you to do that today. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It is a word about the past when we remember that Jesus came in the manger, but it is likewise a word as we look toward our future, the sure and certain future that he will come again. Joy to the world, let heaven and nature sing. Let us pray. And so, God, we do give you praise and thanks this day, for you have given us joy. Joy that does not rest on religion and behavior of following rules, but on religion that rests on your grace and goodness in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us your joy. Give us the light of your joy that we might follow you through the darkness. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, who are suffering in dark places. Would you break in with the light of your joy? Would you allow them to receive your presence today? And for all of us, may we sing forevermore, joy to the world, the Lord has come. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.